how to design and conduct an effective fundraising campaign. I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Dr. Aaron Conley. Aaron has a well-established career in effective fundraising, which he has translated into a successful nonprofit and fundraising consulting company based out of Dallas, Texas. Aaron also is a longtime member of the Fundraising Schools faculty. Aaron, great to have you back with us on the Fundraising Schools podcast. Thanks, Bill. Glad to be here. Aaron has authored Chapter 35 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. The chapter is called Campaign Essentials. And Aaron, when I teach about campaigns, I always warn students, oh, some of you think this doesn't apply to you, but it applies to all fundraisers. In fact, that's why we changed the name of the chapter. It's no longer Capital Campaigns. It's Campaign Essentials. We're talking about something very broad here. Help our uh, audience understand, why is it Campaign Essentials and not just Capital Campaigns? Yeah, so when I contributed the chapter to the fourth edition, it was cam, uh, Capital Campaigns. And I, and I brought this up with the editors. And this time around, we did change the campaign, the, uh, the name of the chapter. So the idea is a capital campaign gets applied to almost any type of campaign. A board says, we need to do a capital campaign or a director of an organization. And capital campaign, in its historic definition, referred mostly to raising funds for the capital purposes of an organization, whether it's buildings or endowment to support um, the ongoing capital needs of an organization. So really wanted to make a point and, and distinguish between the different types of campaigns and make sure people understand that capital campaigns being used in some cases inappropriately um, to describe what an organization is trying to do. So as we pointed out, comprehensive campaigns is really becoming the more common type of campaign, at least in larger organizations like major hospitals, colleges and universities, uh, arts organizations. And the main distinction is a comprehensive campaign counts everything that comes in during that defined campaign period. So you can have major gift priorities, you can have planned gift priorities, and also annual giving types of gifts that come in, even during a giving day, which most organizations do now. In a comprehensive campaigns, all gifts count towards that dollar goal. So you can still have a capital campaign that focuses just on a building, but the comprehensive campaign has really become much more common, and we really wanted to make that clear. We are right up front with the title of the chapter and explaining it in the different types of campaigns right at the beginning of the chapter. Too often when a fundraiser hears the term capital campaign, they automatically think, well, that means land, that yep. means a building, that means rehabbing an old building. And the point here is all sorts of things can be included in a campaign. Can you, uh, you give us a little bit more, elaborate more, please, on the different campaign types that fundraisers can consider? Sure. So kind of following on your point, a capital uh, initiative can be part of a comprehensive campaign. Also, you can have endowment be part of a comprehensive campaign, or I actually, we have a client right now that we're working with that is only trying to build their endowment. So we are labeling that as an endowment campaign. Annual gifts don't count towards the goal that we've set for the endowment, but if somebody designates a planned gift in their will to create an endowed fund, then that does count. So um, that's one of the important distinctions. One of the other things that we did in this chapter that we didn't do in the fourth edition was we added another campaign type that people may not think of as a campaign, but when you look at the characteristics, characteristics of a campaign, it really is, and that's giving days. Even though it's a very, very short time frame for a campaign, it still has all the elements of a traditional campaign where you've got 
organized volunteers, you got key priorities that you're trying to raise money for, you're actively promoting it, but and then there's also that very defined time frame. It's much shorter, but technically it's a campaign. So we included giving day campaigns as part of the campaign types that we described in the chapter. Some of our listeners to this podcast are like, wait a minute, I do giving days. I was doing campaigns. I didn't even know it. Exactly. And so now you do. And now you can go into the chapter, find out what you're doing well, and also find other ideas and techniques to strengthen your campaigns. And, you know, Aaron, in those different types of campaigns, again, people think about a building or think about land. It can be other forms of capital, vehicles, computers. You mentioned endowments. And again, sometimes in our audience, folks don't know, think of an endowment as a savings account, charitable savings account for a specific purpose, where ideally we don't touch the main amount of money and just fund out of the interest or dividends generated by that amount. And I always think about, you know, in the university, and you've done a lot of higher ed fundraising, you've written a seminal book with our colleague Jen Shaker on that topic, award-winning, by the way, congratulations, um, that, you know, well, a professor seat is endowed. Well, how about the executive director of a nonprofit? You can endow that as well, right? It just shows you how broad-based these campaigns can be. Sure. That's actually a great example here in Dallas, the United Way of Dallas, conducted a very successful endowment campaign. And one of the outcomes of that was a named endowment for the executive director. So there is a donor's name on that position and it'll exist in perpetuity. So yeah, that's a great example. It's, this isn't something that's just specific to higher education. These principles and endowment campaigns can be applied across the nonprofit sector. Now, raising the money in the campaign is so important for all these specifically designed purposes in a specifically designed amount of time. And we don't want to mingle the annual fund into the campaign. But there's so much more happening for the nonprofit when they are planning and conducting a campaign. There are other signals, other vibes, uh, other intangible benefits from having a campaign. Can you help our audience understand some of those, please? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, campaigns, they're not easy. Um, and for that reason, a lot of organizations don't attempt them. But I encourage them to, to try it because one of the best things a campaign will do will really force you to look strategically at your organization. And there may be some weaknesses or issues that people know are there, but they just don't want to address them. And if you go into a campaign, you really need to address those early on during the pre-planning stages so that you're, when you're in the campaign, you're really focused on hitting all cylinders, engaging donors, closing gifts, and not taking care of some of the back office types of things that you know have gotten maybe kicked down the road a little bit. But campaigns can really help an organization get all the things put in place that really need to be to help improve their efficiency when it comes to fundraising and delivering their programs. And what does it tell the general public when they hear a campaign is going on, right? What does it say about how that nonprofit views itself, how it's grateful for where they are, but they have ideas for what's next? What, what kind of signals being sent out to the community during a comprehensive campaign? You know, I think for donors who are experienced donors and have supported lots of organizations, and we know from the U.S. Trust study on high net worth philanthropy that the average high net worth household gives to seven organizations every year. So most of your high net worth donors are going to um, look at this as the organization's taking fundraising seriously. They know that it takes a lot of effort and coordination to go into a campaign. And so donors are going to respond positively, I believe, um, who have been supportive of that organization before. And of course, those donors are the ones that you go to first to help build that momentum during the silent phase of your campaign. So that when you go public and you make the announcement of your campaign, what you're trying to raise money for, your dollar goal, then the, and also how much you've raised already, 
that sends a message out to that larger donor population and allows you to expand your donor base. But I think it's a great endorsement for organizations to engage their donors and say, we are planning a campaign and actively involve them in that planning process. That is part of the structure of a comprehensive campaign. And for folks who are listening or viewing this podcast, the details of that structure are in Chapter 35 of Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition, Campaign Essentials. But but Aaron, can you just give us an overview in terms of the why and maybe a little bit of the what of the fundamental structure? There, there's a lot of planning that goes into this. There are. And that's one other thing that we did a little differently with this chapter compared to the chapter in the fourth edition is conferring with Jen Shaker, who's one of your uh, editors of the book. We, we went all the way back to the first edition, you know, to the original Achieving Excellence in Fundraising. And Hank Rosso included in, in that book um, the, the campaign readiness test, which we actively use in the campaigns course for the fundraising school. And we decided to put it in this chapter um, because it's such an effective tool to get people thinking very early on before committing to a campaign to really de determine, are we prepared? It's a wonderful tool. The, 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 um, the questions that he asks, that he poses are weighted. So, you know, some are given a scale of one to five, some are one to 10, and it really helps walk you through the most important elements of a campaign. I think there's 20 questions in it. The most important elements of the campaign, and then those that are weighted the most heavily, really makes you focus on: Are these really? Are we really prepared for these, or do we take the time to prepare now before we move too far down the road and commit fully to this thing? And it is just fine to work through that structure and have the answer come up to be no or not just yet, right, Aaron? It's okay to hit pause if we're not ready. Yeah, and that's why we wanted to put this in, in the chapter. This book has become so popular that we knew putting it in this in the fifth edition would get there would be a lot more eyes on it. So this even though this came out in 1991 with the, the first edition, it's just it's a timeless resource. I know every time we use it in the campaigns course in the fundraising school, it's such an eye-opening experience for people to go through this. And like you said, sometimes, you know, it's a it's a the score comes out to zero to a hundred. So, you know, if you hit a hundred. That means you're really prepared. If you're above 75, I think that's sort of the, the threshold where it says you're you're in good shape. If you're below 75 or if you're below 50, then that's a real red flag. And in a lot of cases, the students in the class are below 50 when they do that for their organization, but they look at it as an opportunity. They say, okay, now we know what we need to go back to our organization and really prepare for. And the book chapter provides a lot more of the detail on, okay, if we did score really low on one of these things, what are some things that we can do to address that? And, uh, and so a lot of that you can find in the book chapter. As a veteran and highly effective member of the fundraising school faculty, Aaron, I know that you teach that the board of directors and other volunteers are always important to the overall fundraising of the nonprofit organization. What are the unique aspects of board engagement and volunteer involvement when we're thinking about campaign essentials? I think the most important thing is the board needs to be 100% behind the campaign, but also be able to articulate how this campaign works and what the impact is gonna have, just as well as a fundraiser could explain that to a potential donor. And I find that in, in consulting, that's one of our biggest challenges is really educating the board members. Everybody's heard of campaigns, right? You know, they're doing, this organization's doing a campaign or we did a campaign 20 years ago, but board members really need to take ownership of a campaign. And that means really understanding everything. One of the most important things is understanding that they need to step up first 
and be a donor to this effort. And if it's going to be a multi-year campaign, say it's a campaign over five years, we advocate that those board members need to step up and make a five-year commitment before you go public as a way to demonstrate to donors, look, 100% of the board is behind this, not just with an annual gift, but they've made a multi-year gift. Now, it doesn't have to be the biggest gift. It's just, it's participation. That gives your fundraiser so much more compelling information to share with donors when they go out and talk about the campaign. They can say, we've already raised 20% of our goal just from our board or, or a figure like that that gets people going. A lot of board members just, they think that this is something that's going to empower the fundraisers to go out and ask others to support. They need to step up and really support it themselves first. Doing that at the board level as well as other volunteers in the community, and it might be the only volunteer activity they do for your nonprofit is be part of the leadership task force for the campaign, make the lead gift, uh, help spread the word, and so many other activities that they can do through the various phases, Aaron. And uh, that is one thing, too, that is really essential about a campaign is that not only are we planning and taking our time, even in implementation, there are different phases. Can you help our audience understand that, please? Yeah. So... We have an illustration in the campaign in the chapter that was carried over from the fourth edition. And when I was charged with writing the chapter for the fourth edition, that was one of the things they specifically wanted was give us an illustration. And so we break the campaign out into five, basically five phases, but two of those are actually outside the beginning and the end of the, the campaign. So the first phase is your pre-planning. This is before you're even starting to solicit gifts for the campaign. This involves creating a case for support and testing it with potential donors, looking at your fundraising history, understanding where your giving is coming from. And then that transitions into your silent phase where you actually start counting gifts, but you haven't announced it to the world. You haven't launched a website or sent out brochures or anything like that. This is where you're working with your closest donors to build momentum. Then that goes into a public phase, the campaign. Then the third, the fourth phase is actually a campaign closing and celebration as you're approaching the end of the campaign, which creates all sorts of opportunities to engage new donors and build momentum with reaching this goal. And then the, the final phase is the stewardship and, and evaluation. A lot of organizations will reach their goal, campaign's over, and they just stop. <laughs> and that's one of the you know, opportunities that you miss is look at what worked and look at what didn't work so that when you are preparing for the next campaign, you've learned your lessons and you're able to ramp up even more quickly. Well, as we hear the expertise of Dr. Aaron Conley, you know that I learn something new each time I have an opportunity to teach alongside Aaron, a long time and cherished member of the faculty at the fundraising school. Aaron, a successful fundraiser in his own right, has also studied this work and has combined that together into considerable fundraising expertise now expressed through his nonprofit management and fundraising consulting company working across the United States. Aaron, an award-winning author and also nationally cited for his work, including as the author of Chapter 35, Campaign Essentials in Achieving Excellence in Fundraising, the fifth edition. This textbook is available to you on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. 39 chapters, 4,000 words each or less, meaning we get right to the point. They're research-based. They all include an element of crisis fundraising as well as components associated with diversity, equity, 
and inclusion. We also use the textbook to inform the curriculum of the fundraising school, which is a big reason why our alumni meet or exceed their fundraising goals at a rate higher than the national average. 22 public courses in all that can lead to four different certificates. We can bring the curriculum to you through our custom training, all of this either in person or online in the United States or anywhere across the world. We also have our quarterly webinars and of course these free podcasts. Again, that website, philanthropy.iui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. Grateful to our guest today, Dr. Aaron Conley. Our producers today are Mike Anthony and Jennifer Boffman. I'm Bill Stajakevich. And now you are now more fully informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm-hmm.